Welcome to AFSPA Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association with Chief Operating Officer Kyle Longton. Be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast channel. Enjoy the episode. Hi, and welcome to another episode of AFSPA Talks. I'm Kyle Longton, and along with me as always is... Hannah Wolfart. And today, well, we've had a number of episodes, Kyle, on behavioral and mental health. Um, And both of us have shared some experiences of seeking behavioral health help. We actually had our first episode about MyStrength, a program that as an FSBP member, you can have access to MyStrength. Um, It provides you with resources to help overcome depression, anxiety, and substance use disorder. And we did another episode early on about able to and able to is a web-based video conferencing program um, that helps individuals live with conditions like heart disease or type two diabetes, chronic pain, or that experience life events, such as losing a loved one or having a baby. Right. We also had a a great talk about um, opioids and substance use disorder as, and part of that was a focus on the mental health and behavioral health needs that come along um, with using opioids and and perhaps even abusing opioids. Um, But most of our conversations and most of the programs that we featured have focused on adult needs, not all of them, but most of them. Correct. So we did do one episode on LGBTQ plus youth and Mm -hmm. talking a little bit about their behavioral support needs. But um, as you said, most of the conversations have been focused on adults. So it's nice that this episode, we're going to take a turn and focus on kids and For our episode today, AFSPA talks behavioral health support for kids. Absolutely. And and behavioral health needs are not something that suddenly appear when we hit a certain age that we turn 18, we can vote, and all of a sudden we have behavioral health needs. They they can show up earlier. Yeah, definitely. And kids are unique and their needs are unique. And oftentimes the support they need is very unique. And many times their parents need tools to help support them. Um, And as we know, the pandemic has exacerbated those needs, not just for kids, for everybody, um, but luckily it's also amplified the innovative solutions that are available with something like Brightline. Yeah, absolutely. And Brightline is something that I came across um, when I was reconnecting with someone um, who I previously worked with at Livongo. And and we'll be talking about actually Livongo in an episode in the month of November, Um, but that's another remote solution. And so Brightline is, they describe themselves as bringing exceptional behavioral health care to kids, teens, and their families when and where they need it. And essentially, it is virtual care for behavioral health needs um, focused on the under 18 crowd. So it can be children of all ages into the teenage years. They also offer support for parents. And we're going to talk about that some with our guests today, but it, it, it is a completely online virtual experience that offers um resources, they offer webinars, they offer support groups, they offer coaching. They also offer what we think of as traditional care with um, licensed clinical social workers, um, psychiatrists, and so forth. But there's different levels of care for different needs. Um, Because as you mentioned, needs are unique. Not not just kids' needs are unique, but individuals' um, needs are unique. And we are fortunate enough to have someone who has a, a fantastic background in um, the needs of children, but also is deeply connected with um, Brightline. And that is David Grodberg, who is the chief medical officer and psychiatrist for Brightline. 
He's a board certified child and adolescent psychiatrist um, and has over 20 years of clinical experience providing evaluation and treatment for children, adolescents, and their families across many conditions and levels of care. David is currently a faculty member at the Yale School of Medicine and served as medical director of the Yale Child Study Center Outpatient Clinic. Among his many contributions to the field, David developed the Autism Mental Status Exam, AMSE, which is a brief and free diagnostic assessment for autism spectrum disorder used globally. So many of us, I know I've seen this in my pediatrician's office, many of us will encounter it. Much of his work at Yale has focused on using technology to improve the way pediatric behavioral health care is delivered. It's perfect for us and, and for today. And also during the course of his career, he has worked with foreign service families and understands both the unique needs they have and the solutions offered by telehealth. David went to medical school at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and trained in child and adolescent psychiatry at the Yale Child Study Center. He received an NIH-sponsored National Research Service Award, that's T32, a Career Development Award, KL2, and foundation support for his clinical research. He's a resident of New Haven, Connecticut, um, where he and his family enjoy pizza, sports, and hiking. Thank you, Dr. Grodberg, for joining us to talk about the behavioral and mental health needs of children and adolescents. Good morning. I'm just going to jump right in. Um, FSBP has had a focus on mental wellness, particularly how it relates to physical health since early 2020. But much of our focus has been on needs and, and programs that we offer for our adult members. Um, but obviously, they're not the only ones who need support and treatment. Your specialty is focused on on children. Um, can you tell us a bit about some of the most common behavioral health needs that that kids have? Yeah, absolutely. So the most common reasons that children get referred for behavioral health services include um, what are called externalizing behaviors. So like ADHD or oppositional behaviors, those, those are the most common. And before the pandemic, it was about nine, 10% um, of the population of children had, had those difficulties. And after that comes anxiety and depression, and then autism comes in at about 1%. Um, and since the pandemic started, rates have just skyrocketed. Um, and we're seeing all of those clinical domains, um, but, uh, but just at much higher prevalence rates. So kids who had pre-existing difficulties before the pandemic um, are now coming in with more difficulties. Uh, and kids who may have just been vulnerable beforehand um, are now coming in with, with new symptom presentations. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the pandemic. Of course, it's we, we can't really have a conversation about anything, particularly healthcare, without, without talking about it. And the, the last year and a half have taken a whole toll on all of us. Um, you mentioned some of the, the challenges you know, and, and the greater prevalence you're seeing in kids. I know from my own personal experience um, that the pandemic's had an effect directly on my kids and also the effects it's had on me have spilled over to my kids. Um, can you talk about, you, you touched on this, but can you go a little deeper on how kids have been affected, sort of the immediate um, effects on kids over the last you know, year and a half and, and what we might see going forward? Yeah, for sure. And I'll, I'll actually start with the parents and then move on to the kids. But, you know, as a parent myself, you know, we've we've been tasked over the last two years of creating highly structured learning environments at home, especially during the, the lockdown periods. And um, and you know, as parents, we had to do that without any of the training that teachers have, without any of the resources that schools provide. 
And it's not easy. I know some people who are able to do it, but for most parents, including myself, it was a very difficult thing to do, especially when trying to work from home at the same time, or when there may be other siblings that you have to take care of and, and, and all the while trying to protect your family from not getting sick. So just a, a tremendous amount of stress that parents have had to endure. And whenever there's more stress and adversity, children develop become vulnerable to developing more anxiety and more depression and more disruptive behavior. So that that's sort of the, the context in which we've been, um, been trying to help families and children with difficulties. Okay. And so we have an idea, and I think all of us in our personal lives who, who have children or in, in contact with children, um, you know, have seen some of that and, and, we've tried to deal with it in different ways. Like you said, even without training, we've, we've turned on lo- to, to Google searches and things like that. My family started having a family scream session on a daily basis to try to re- relieve and release some of what we were feeling. But I'm, I'm guessing um, that there are more effective treatments out there than just a, a good family scream. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what some of those traditional and, and even the more innovative approaches are to supporting kids' needs? Yeah, sure. And the, the family scream session sound sounds amazing. You know, maybe maybe not for the neighbors. I'm not sure. But 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 I actually when I think about it, I mean, of course, it, it might feel good to really let 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 it out in a scream. But the way you describe it, it's a collective experience and something that your family was doing together and working together to solve a problem is actually one of the core pillars of family resilience that we think about when we work with families. So. I think it's a wonderful example that you shared, and thanks for that. You know, as as far as um, you know, traditional approaches to pediatric behavioral health, there's a there's a a, a lot of evidence based interventions that um, that are out there, including cognitive behavioral therapy for children, um, family centered approaches, medication management, but there's just no easy way for families to get access to these treatments. Um, and of course, access is one of the biggest barriers. There's just not, there's simply not enough clinicians trained in pediatric behavioral health. But another big barrier includes the stigma that, you know, despite the cultural shift that we're all experiencing um, of destigmatization of mental health problems, um, it's still there. And, and a lot of parents are hesitant to have to label their child or to have to get a mental health diagnosis to get help. And, and people are worried about, um, you know, a label sort of sticking on a child's records at school or, you know, in, in medical records. So, um, so, so there's, there's no easy way to, for families to do this. And, and because of that care, you know, people wait for a crisis, they're forced to, and care becomes much more reactive instead of proactive. Um, and that, by definition, is just more expensive care. It's less standardized, um, and it's harder to do. Um, at Brightline, what we're doing is not only are we developing a multidisciplinary clinical service, which we we have now launched across the country, but we also have other levels of care that parents can easily enter and get engaged with. Um, and the, the most basic level is called Brightline Connect, which is a, more of a self-guided, digitally supported psychoeducation type of experience where people can get engaged 
And then when they're comfortable, they can move into a, a skills-based coaching intervention or a more traditional clinical intervention. So I, I, so I think the, the interventions are there. We just need to deliver them in ways that meet families and children where they are. So let me ask a little bit then about, because we're, we're talking about Brightline um, and it, it's sort of filling a, a space in the healthcare arena that has been empty, that there, there's sort of been a void. We've had online options, online support programs for adults. Um, you know, our FSBP, our health plan has been engaging in those for a decade now and looking for solutions, but there hasn't been much out there for, for kids. And I'm so glad that's why I was so glad to find Brightline when I came across it, um, can you talk a little bit more about that three-tiered approach and then particularly talk a little bit about the difference between sort of the coaching and the care levels? Yeah, for sure. So, so the, the three-tiered approach is really supported by, you know, at its most basic level, Brightline Connect. And what we've been able to do is build a digital platform that anybody can access and you don't need a, a diagnosis to access it. Um, and you can access it as a parent. And what you immediately are able to encounter are evidence-informed psychoeducation materials, some, some basic skills that parents can use for you know, severe tantrums, for example, in their children, or guidance on how to interact with a school to get, you know, if you're about to start an IEP yeah. process, for example. Um, and for many families, that self-guided um, intervention is really all, all they need, at least you know, at that moment. Um, for other families, they need more, but they weren't necessarily ready to enter the clinical um, care for, for all kinds of complicated reasons. Um, and for such families, after they get engaged, they can move into a, a coaching program. So coaching is something that, that's been um, used a lot in, in, in behavioral health companies, especially those that are working with adults. And the difference between coaching and therapy is that coaching is, it, is strictly skills-based um, intervention. So you're not, um, you're not um, doing um, psychotherapy with um, a client, but you're actually working on very specific protocolized skills. So for example, at Brightline, we have coaching programs that work on organizational skills training, for example. So a parent whose child may have ADHD or just some difficulties with executive functioning, it's really difficult to get help for that. So we have training programs that were developed by occupational therapists to help parents implement evidence-based practice um, that help support their kids' executive functioning and organizational skills. Um, another example of a coaching program is something that helps parents with um, children who have um, anger outbursts or severe tantruming. And the first line intervention for children who have disruptive behaviors or, or anger outbursts, according to American Academy of Pediatrics, is um, parent behavior training, where parents get trained up and some really specific skills and strategies that they can use. And it works. But sadly, only three out of 10 families across the country have access to parent behavior training. So we want it to be available to 10 out of 10 families who enter our system. And, and that's one of the coach delivered programs that we have. 
So hopefully that gives you a sense of the types of programs that that we're offering. And then, you know, if there's a clinical indication for uh, for a higher level of care, that is clinical services. If a child has a clinical level of anxiety or depression or um, complexity in their difficulties, that is, you know, comorbidity um, or medical difficulties, um, then we move them into clinical care and, and guide the, the parents to, to enter that. And that's much more of a traditional um, clinical service. What, what we've built is um, unique in that it, we have truly multidisciplinary care teams. So right now, even when you do get to clinical care for pediatric behavioral health, it's, it's quite fragmented and siloed. Um, and what we've been able to build using our digital platform, our electronic health record, our, our care plan, is we have everyone working together. So that sets us up to do pretty exciting stuff like sequencing care in, the, in, in a way that works, making sure that everyone's on the same page, engaging families to be part of the decision-making for their child's care plan. And, um, and we're able to you know, do uh, and anchor our care on evidence-based practice like cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, I, I, I love to hear the, the term, uh, you know, may put some people to sleep, but hear the term evidence-based um, because I, I know that means that you all aren't just trying different things. You've got a psychiatrist, you've got other trained medical professionals who are leading these efforts. And, and I think that brings me to the question of um, is behavioral support as effective in the virtual space as in-person options? And I'm, I'm assuming the answer is yes, but I'm wondering if you can give us a little bit more about specifically um, in the pediatric area, the efficacy of a virtual um, treatment. Yeah, sure. So, so before the pandemic, people were thinking about this quite a bit, and there was a lot of work demonstrating um, that you know, the efficacy of, of, of behavioral health interventions over telehealth and comparing them and, and demonstrating that they're, they, they're equally effective. Um, and then without any um, anticipation or predictability, you know, knowing that we were going to all do this, the entire industry shifted to telehealth over the past two years. So we've learned a, a tremendous amount. Um, and what we found is that, uh, you know, a lot of children and families uh, are able to engage over telehealth. Um, and some actually prefer it. Um, there's some surveys out there now that um, when given the choice, some, some parents and children prefer to have um, the telehealth session from home. I think um, it, typically when parents are managing their child's behavioral health problems, they'll spend many hours per week driving to the, the office, parking, waiting in the waiting room, coming back home. So it saves a, a ton of time for families and, and takes a large burden off of them. A lot, a lot of our therapists also have told me that um, there's something so valuable in seeing children in vivo, that is, you know, in their environment. And, um, and it re- you know, when children are able to share um, a toy that, that with the therapist um, or, the ther- or their pet, that's a, a very common um, event that kind of facilitates the communication and interaction between them. Um, there's also lots of opportunity for us to engage parents because, you know, even though 
parents might be working um, their home when we're doing the session with the child. So we're able to make sure that the parents are learning the same skill that we're teaching the child and send the parents off to practice that skill um, in between those clinical appointments. And that's actually a critical aspect of what we do. And we call it dyadic care. And, um, and it's basically um, engaging and enlisting the parents to do a lot of the practice and supporting the child and practicing their new skill in between those, those sessions. So we can really generalize kids um, new skills and get them back into their developmental trajectory. That's, that's fantastic. And it goes along obviously with what you were talking about earlier in terms of the, the parent behavior training um, and some of the pieces that are available through the, the connect and the coaching um, to, to combine all of that um, for the whole family, because I, I speaking with a colleague of yours, and we talked about sort of parents being the first line of support and the first line of, of recognition that there's a, a challenge. And so the, the innovative way that Brightline has approached care for not just the, the child, but the whole environment of the child and particularly the parents and maybe other family members is, is incredible. Um, and, and I know as a parent and, and someone who sought support as when I was a child and then also sought support for my children, how important that is to have everybody involved. Um, and do you see that parents are staying involved even, even at all ages for, for teens as well as younger kids? Yeah, we, people are staying involved. We have good completion rates. Um, and, and our you know, summaries of our, our, of our um, outcomes are, are quite positive. You know, what, an, another aspect, and, you know, another reason engaging parents is so important is you know, not, not only so they can help support the child and their new skills, but, but we know just from research that when parents are able to use these new skills that we teach them with fidelity, um, and if we help parents develop a, a sense of self-efficacy, meaning, mm -hmm. you know, they feel like they can help their child and they don't feel helpless, that lowers the parents' stress levels. And when parents' stress levels go down, that predicts improved outcomes in the child. So, so it, it, it's, it, it has a profound impact on clinical outcomes in, in the child. And then, of course, you know, for parents who are working, when parents are more stressed out. Yeah. We, all, we all know this. It's harder, to, it's harder to focus on work. So you just become less productive. Um, and there's problems of absenteeism and presenteeism. And then we, you know, when we're more stressed, we use our benefits more um, and for stress-related conditions, whether you know, we have high blood pressure or diabetes or, or uh, you, know, you name it. Yeah. We've, we've talked a lot on this podcast and, and in other um, publications and so forth that we have about sort of this connection between mental and physical and how they, you know, the mental can lead to poor physical outcomes. The physical challenges can lead to, to mental um, and behavioral challenges and that they're, they're combined. And I think I, I appreciate the way that you all are approaching that for the, the whole family um, and, and trying to intervene to, to provide the best possible outcomes. I, I do want to switch gears for just a minute and talk about one of the other services um, that you all offer, and that is um, speech pathology. And that is not something that I immediately think of as a behavioral health need or something that I always, again, think of that could be done effectively in a telemedicine environment, but you all are doing it. Um, so can you talk a little bit about the approach that Brightline takes to speech, speech pathology needs? 
Yeah, so so they're they're quite prevalent, um, and you know, speech pathology needs can take the form of expressive difficulties, um, like language delays, um, receptive difficulties. So kids have a hard time understanding language, um, articulation, and also just using language in a socially, a socially and a communicative way. So like children who are on the autism spectrum may have some social communicative difficulties. And you know, children who have these difficulties typically are getting services through school um, or through preschool, like through an IEP, um, or they were getting it you know, independently, um, privately. But all that got interrupted um, during the pandemic. And when kids have these difficulties, they're, they're, there's a really high rate of comorbid behavioral health problems. So that's why it just makes sense and for us to include this in there. Um, and this the speech language pathology um, world has been able to adopt to to telehealth and you know uh, there's there's some things that are, are a little bit more challenging but for for the most part there's there's been uh, some significant success in um in working with children and families um in those different domains that i was describing and you know especially for the younger children all, there's um, a, a big role that the parents play um, in, in, again, practicing a lot of these skills. Uh, and we've had success with that. We're also really excited to be launching our autism program next year, which will have a big focus on social and communication skills. Um, and at the beginning, uh, at launch, it'll be very much focused on empowering parents with the skills that they need to really promote their children's development. I'm, I'm very excited about that. And I, I had heard, I had heard whispers about the autism program. I wasn't sure if the time was right to talk about it. Um, I, I know it's not launched yet. Is there anything more that you can, can share with us um, about that program and the approach it'll take and, and um, how, how it might go about um, supporting people on uh, with autism spectrum disorder? Yeah. So, so, so as a, a, a child adolescent psychiatrist, um, you know, I've worked for years with children and families who are, are coping with autism. Um, and the, you know, the, the behavioral health needs are quite, can be quite ex- extensive. Um, we're starting um, with a, a, an area that where we can you know, scale things as quickly as possible and help the most families that we can. So we're we're launching a coaching program where coaches are working with parents um, in a parent-focused intervention, skills-based intervention, to teach parents um, to to use naturalistic forms of um, of behavioral interventions. Uh, And these are things that are evidence-informed and they really help focus on the social and communication development of children. So these are skills that have been shown um, that they can be taught to parents um, by both clinical uh, therapists, but also by coaches and parents can get fidelity and achieve self-efficacy in these skills. So um, we're really excited to, to get these, uh, these skills-based programs out there. Um, and then from there, we'll, we'll keep building um, and addressing all the, the many other complex needs that, that families have. I think that's fantastic. And, and those who take advantage of it, I think it will be lucky to have you um, and, and your extensive experience to leading that effort um, and, and making 
you know, additions as, as time goes on. Before we finish, um, I, I do want to ask, do you have any advice for our listeners? I think most of them would fall into the parent category, um, but do you have any advice for them in recognizing and supporting their children's behavioral health needs? Um, I, I think the, 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 you know, the best advice is that parents should really trust their instincts. And I, you know, I think parents usually know if, if they're worried about their child or if there's if something concerned. Um, or if they're not, um, often pediatricians will tell them or teachers will tell them. So just, you know, I think the advice I can give is to be on high alert. Everyone is more stressed now and everybody is more vulnerable to developing anxiety or, or depression or, you know, in kids, things come out more frequently in their behaviors. Um, but I, I think you know, the difficulties are so prevalent now. So we all tend to normalize this and accept it. But I think if things are really getting in the way of a child's development and their functioning at home, that is, you know, families feel like they, they're really needing to interrupt their family routines because of the child's difficulties, or it's really getting in the way of school or social interactions, then it, it's worth reaching out to the pediatrician or, or finding out how to get um, connected with a, a service like Brightline. You know, as we come out of the pandemic, children are just more vulnerable and they'll continue to be vulnerable for a while. So um, it's not just a problem now that we have to address, um, you know, children's anxiety and depression and behaviors, but we have to really set up um, services that are going to be there for the next several years, you know, at least, because I think the difficulties that kids are um, enduring or the stress that they're enduring now is going to, is going to manifest in difficulties over the, you know, the next many years. I think that's great. And, and relying on that relationship with the, with the pediatrician, with the primary care provider um, and, and seeking advice there. I think that that's fantastic um, as a starting place and recognizing that times have changed for all of us. Um, but luckily so have the solutions. And I really appreciate you taking time today to share um, one of the, the most innovative solutions we've come across, um, particularly for children, um, which is Brightline Health. So Dr. Grodberg, thank you very much for joining us for this episode. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. To learn more about Brightline Health, please visit hellobrightline.com. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Ask for Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show and tell your friends about it. We welcome your feedback on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram, look for at AskTheCares. All information offered in this podcast is meant to be educational. Comments offered by the hosts or guests are not intended as medical advice. Please direct questions about your personal health needs to a provider. Should there be any discrepancy between information offered in this podcast and official plan documents for the Foreign Service Benefit Plan or other products offered by ASPA, the policy provisions will prevail. Special thanks as always to Hannah Wolfhart for producing, editing, and mixing this episode. We'll see you next time.